today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. ask you. You think God's got some power? You think His power is greater than your power? You think His power is greater than your ability to blow it? You think that His power is greater than your failures? I believe that He is. Kept by the power of God. And beloved, unless you have just a grand view of the power and the majesty of who God is and what He is able to accomplish, you will live your life in fear and in doubt and in unsettledness. God is powerful. By Him all things were made, and through His power all things are held together. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us that it is through the power of God that we receive forgiveness from our sins. When the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, he forever defeated death so that we might obtain salvation. It is also through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are kept in the palm of God's hand. Just as we could not save ourselves from the bondage of sin, we also cannot live holy lives without God's power working in us. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Doxology, from 1 Peter chapter 1. to be people of praise and people of worship, to live our lives in doxology, saying praise declaration, every opportunity. Even the rest of that psalm is so powerful and so mighty. Down in verse 19, he says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you angels who excel in his strength, who do his word, heeding the excuse me, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a whole lot of blessing going on. From the angels to all of creation, to all of us who are redeemed, every one blessing and praising him. We need to be that kind of people. Now let's go back to to Peter, back to 1 Peter. Many of those same things that David wrote in Psalm 103, we find repeated right here in this declaration of Peter. Listen to it again in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. You're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a living hope that's found through the abundant mercy that we've received through Jesus Christ. 
And do you see the, the emphasis that, that Peter makes on the resurrection of Christ from the dead? Our living hope is because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Beloved, without the resurrection, we have nothing to worship, nothing to praise God about, nothing to glory God. Do you realize that even though Christ was sinless, he was perfect in everything, absolutely obedient to the Father, he perfect perfect sacrifice, and that he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. He shed his blood on the cross for us. Do you realize that though he was perfect and though he was dead, that that wasn't good enough? You might say, whoa, that's heresy, pastor. No, it's not. That's biblical. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, if there was no resurrection, then you know what? None of it would have been worth anything to us. As a matter of fact, Paul brings out that out to us very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Paul writes, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. That's the necessity of the resurrection. That's the need that we have in life to also thank the Lord for the resurrection of Christ. He goes on, Paul goes on to say, then also those who have fallen asleep, those that have already died in Christ, they've perished. They're just done. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most pitiable. But beloved, there is a resurrection. And we praise God for the resurrection because not only is Christ raised from the dead, but you and I also will be raised from the dead. And that's what Peter is trying to draw our attention to. Again, the greatness of the blessings that are ours through Christ who is resurrected from the dead. Peter lists some areas where you and I ought to be continually thankful Not only are we begotten again, not only are we born again to that living hope, but we're now, we were given an inheritance. And you know what an inheritance is? An inheritance is proof of the Father's love. It's proof of the Father's love. As a matter of fact, if your dad doesn't love you, he may write you out of the will, you know. But it's proof of the Father's love, and he's given us an inheritance And Peter tells us that not only is there an inheritance, but the specifics about that inheritance is that it's incorruptible. And that word actually there means that it is imperishable. It will not dissolve away. He goes on to, again, drive it home. He says it's undefilable. There's no defect either in the inheritance nor in your title to the inheritance. It does not fade away. Our inheritance in Christ is as eternal as God is eternal. Do you understand that? The greatness of that that's ours in Christ. Beloved, on top of all that, it's reserved in heaven for you. Again, just as Jesus said, this is, this is a treasure that neither moth nor rust nor thief can creep in to destroy or to steal. As a matter of fact, nothing in this world can touch our inheritance. It's safe and it's sealed by God and in the very presence of God. Beloved, that's an eternal promise. 
totally secure in the heavenlies for us. And then Peter goes on to say that in the midst of all of that, the inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Then he goes on to say that it is kept by your ability to do the right thing. Is that what it says? What it says, it is kept by what? The power of God. Now, let me ask you. You think God's got some power? You think his power is greater than your power? You think his power is greater than your ability to blow it? You think that his power is greater than your failures? I believe that he is. Kept by the power of God. And beloved, unless you have just a grand view of the power and the majesty of who God is and what he is able to accomplish, you will live your life in fear and in doubt and in unsettledness. Because you're figuring that it's all dependent upon you rather than resting in the security of the power of Almighty God. And the enemy will use that fear. They'll, he'll use that doubt. He'll use that unsettledness in your life to continually rock your boat. To continually to keep you from the joy that is yours as being in Christ. It's the power of God that saved you. It's the power of God that holds you. It's the power of God that keeps you. But it is the vehicle of faith that makes it all real in your life. What does he say? We are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept by the power of God through faith. Faith is that vehicle of God's grace allowing it to be loosed into our lives. The word tells us that for by what are we saved? For by grace are we saved through what? Through faith. Grace is the saving factor. Faith is the vehicle whereby it comes into our lives. Faith is a vehicle of God's power within our lives. But sometimes... Sometimes we all struggle with this thing called faith, don't we? Sometimes we come to a a limit of, of our faith, and sometimes, yeah, we have doubts within our lives. I want you to hold your place in Peter, and I want you to flip over to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9. It's probably a familiar story to, to most all of you. It's, it happens right after the transfiguration. Jesus, Peter, James, and John comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down, and there's a crowd of people there. And we're not going to read the entire story, but let me just touch on a couple of points. In verse 17 of Mark chapter 9, as Jesus has come down off the mountain, he says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20, it says, then they brought him to him, and when he, uh, the, the young child, saw Jesus, saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, 
and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he, Jesus, asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, well, from childhood, and often he was thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And in verse 23, we get Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, if that were the end of the story, if it were to stop right there, we could look and we could say that everything is dependent upon my faith. Everything is dependent upon my ability to be able to believe beyond what I can see and what I understand, to believe even beyond my fears and my own doubts, believe beyond my own failures. But that's not the end of the story because you need to listen to what this man's response is to Jesus. In verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He's saying there, Lord, I I, I believe to a point. I believe who you are. But I believe in reality what he's saying is, I don't know if my faith is, is big enough to believe that you're able to heal him at this point in time. Lord, help my unbelief. And I don't know about you, but I'll just be honest with you this morning. There's times in my life that my faith only goes so far. There's times in my life that, yes, I, I know the greatness and the majesty of God, but I look at situations in my life or maybe in the life of others, and my faith only goes so far. And I've, I've prayed this prayer many times. Lord, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. God is able to go beyond what we're able to imagine or envision or have faith for. Faith is that vehicle Again, we need God's work and move within our lives many times to give that vehicle a little nudge on down the street, to give it a little bit more than what we're able to, again, within ourselves, be able to grasp hold of. Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses was given this fresh and new vision in his life. Why? Because of faith. Faith is, again, that vehicle of God's direction and vision in our lives. Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses, by faith, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. In other words, he believed God in his life, and he continued to move forward. But, you know, even in Moses' life, was there one or two times that Moses messed up? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. But God moved beyond Moses' ability. And I'm glad that God moves beyond my ability. Because he is the great one. He is the one that's worthy of our praise. It really frustrates me when I've heard some declare, hey, you just have to have faith in your faith. I'm thinking, what? Faith in my faith? I know my faith. I know where it fails. I know where it falters. How can I have faith in my faith? No, I'll have faith in the one who answers, the one who is able, the one who is able to extend beyond all that I can do and perceive or even begin to imagine. That's who I have faith in me. I think we can all agree that Jesus had faith, right? 
Okay, let's, let's admit it. He's the personification of faith. He, he is faith in reality. And all that he did was in faith, believing and knowing what the Father would do. And yet he was the one who prayed in the garden that says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. But then he added on to that, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You see, there's times that we pray in absolute, total faith. God doesn't answer the way we want him to answer. But I prayed, and I prayed in faith. I prayed believing that God would do it. And I was, man, I was filled with faith, and I just knew that God would do this. And yet, God did this, or God did this. What's wrong? You didn't have enough faith, sister. You didn't have enough faith, brother. And I've heard that time and time again. That irritates me to no end. Because what it does, it lessens the reality of the sovereign work of God above and beyond what our mental capacity, what our experience, what our logic can comprehend. I see a situation and I pray a certain way dependent upon what I think logically is the answer for that. And yet God is still God. God is the sovereign one. Eye is not seen nor ear heard, neither is entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Beloved, it's not up to us. We pray, we pray in faith, we pray believing, we seek his direction and leading in our lives, and we move forward in that. But at the same time, we need to understand, he is still God and you ain't. Okay? Bad English, but good theology. Getting back to Peter, quickly as we look at verse 6 through 9, he says, in all of these things you greatly rejoice. Well, in, in what things? Well, the things of our inheritance, the things that that inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven, it's kept by God, it's going to be revealed in the last days. He says, in these things you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Let me ask you again. Anybody in here ever gone through any trials in your life? Maybe some of you are going through right now. If you haven't in your Christian life, if in your Christian life you have never gone through any trials, stand by. Okay, yeah. It will come your way. He says you're grieved by various trials. And why are those trials there? Look even what it says in verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, that the genuineness of your faith, though it's tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You mean to tell me that God is allowing this trial to come into my life on purpose? It's what the word says. Now, sometimes it's because of your own sin, okay? Let's just lay that out there. Sometimes the trial that you're going through is just a consequence of your own sin. But I thought Jesus forgave my sin. Oh, he does, but that doesn't mean that you don't meet with the consequences of it. All, again, all you have to do is go back and look at the life of Moses. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Why? Because of his sin. Was God then rejecting Moses? No. God loved Moses. God used Moses greatly. But Moses never got to go into the promised land. Look at the life of David. 
because of David's sin with Bathsheba. Did God then reject David? No, God forgave David, but David had to live with the consequences of that sin. And we could go on and on through the word and through life, the reality that many times we just have to live with the consequences of our sin. And yes, sometimes you are collateral damage to the sin of others. And I understand that, and God understands that. But even in the midst of those things, God can use that in your life. And then there are other times that God just simply puts us into the furnace. He says, why would God do that? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, that the genuineness of your faith, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I still need refining in my life. There's there, there, there still gunk in my life that needs to be refined away. I know that I've not gone through the last trial in my life. I know that I'm not in the the last furnace of my life. It's not that I look forward to these things. You understand that. I don't look forward to the furnace. But when they come, I can understand, okay, Lord, you're still in charge, and you know all about this thing. Let the test of my faith be proven at the end of this thing. He says this revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, pastor, I thought I was already saved. You not only are saved now, but you are also being saved now, and you will be saved at the end. It is the work, it is the process of God. It is completed now. If you were to go on a a plane trip, as we did a couple of weeks ago, say from Phoenix to Tennessee, I get to that airport, I'm going on that trip. I get in that airplane. I'm not in Tennessee yet, but I'm going to Tennessee Eventually, it will land in Tennessee, Lord willing. It will land in Tennessee. In the same way, our our salvation, we are there. We are saved. It is completed in that final day. It's reserved in heaven for you, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when all that you and I see here in this flesh are going to be done away with. Everything. Peter writes about that in Second Peter. It's all going to be destroyed. Everything that brings stress and trials in our life, every attack of the enemy, every attack and pulling of the flesh, all of it's going to be done away with. The only things that will last will be those things of God and those things of his great and glorious kingdom. We continue in faith. We continue to wait for the receiving of the end of our faith, that time when we'll all stand before the Lord, that time when we will just bask in the glory of His presence for all of eternity. Though we've come to the end of our time with you today on The Open Word, you don't have to wait to hear more from Pastor David Landry. 
In fact, Pastor David's here to tell you more. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast as well. As soon as we post a new message from The Open Word, you'll receive a notification. This way, you'll never miss an update. While you're on our website, you can learn more about what we believe as a ministry, as well as find out ways to support us. One way is through prayer, something we're always grateful for. We need to make sure we're focusing first on Jesus, then on what we're creating. We want every edition of The Open Word to come from the Savior, not from us. Your prayers for us help us do this. Would you also pray for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts and ears would be open to Jesus and that the gospel will continue to spread throughout the earth. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word.